Dukes and Bell Sports Radio 929 the game. Zeno. <laughs> Mark Zeno. At Mark Zeno, by the way, on Twitter. Follow him. I may put him up. See Dukes in this radio show. Dukes and Bell 929. Follow the radio station at 929 the game. Mike is out this week. Bo is out as well. Turtle behind the glass. And we're on the gram, man. Follow us as uh, we'd love to hear from you guys. Coming up, we're going to talk about who's got the better team right now. You've got to stick around for this conversation coming up in about 10 minutes. But we've got to talk about the news of the day, and it concerns our Hawks. Now, the Hawks are in action tonight against the Bulls. Pre-games at 7, tips at 7.30. And I know some of you are driving around or however you're accessing the show, smart speaker on your computer. Maybe you're going for your daily run, and you're like, Dukes and Bell, this is not a big deal. Why are you guys making such a big deal uh, out of Travis Slink stepping down? (laughs) Because... It means the direction of the franchise is possibly changing as to how we're going to do business and, and who's going to be here. The bigger thing, Zeno, is who's going to be here. And I'm not saying things are going to happen immediately, guys. I'm not willing to rush to judgment that way and say because all of a sudden Travis Slink, who resigns as the president of basketball ops, and Landry Field steps up, he's the GM, he's going to take on the day-to-day operations, that all of a sudden we're going to make immediate moves. But I can't sit here and tell you guys that things are not going to be different from a standpoint of either how we acquire players, what players are going to be here, maybe even at some point, Zeno, as you said, at the end of the season, because I'm not willing to tell you Nate's going to get got anytime soon, and nor should he, we've, we've got to evaluate him when this team is healthy. But that also could mean a coaching change. There are a lot of things that could be on the table here now that Travis Slink is not running your day-to-day. Everything is on the table. At this point in time, what is sacred? If you believe that the guy who drafted Trey Young, who is no longer pushing the buttons and controlling the levers and making the decisions, uh, is he is not here anymore, that there's any necessarily ties to that player, it's not how it works. It's not. I mean, again, you're not passing the baton from a winner to a guy who is now filling the shoes of somebody who willfully departed. I know what the press release says. Nobody ever gets laterally promoted out of a GM spot. Oh, he stepped down. Okay, sure. He's in in an advisory role. When you step – stepping down is even worse, okay? You might be able to argue that there's a a role change, you know, uh, that's a mutual thing. You step down – stepping down is code for, well, we don't want to fire you, so we're just going to let you walk away on your own terms. Isn't that what every step down means? That's what stepping down is. I've never it, stepped it, down. Listen, neither have I. Because you know what the difference? You I don't know, know. The difference, if if you wanted out on your own and you were done, you just retire. Well, he's not retiring. He's, he's not retired. years old. Right. So the point is, when you step down, that means that you didn't walk down the steps. You were pushed. He said, uh, or at least the statement said, prioritizing family. And so, these aren't quotes, right? There's not a quote in there. No. Is that a quote in there? No, from it's Travis a statement. Slink? It's a statement. Right. So Travis Slank didn't say, I've chosen this in quotes. The organization put out a statement. In the PR world, they call that damage control. Mm. Guys, here's the thing about this. Do you think we can win? No. With what we have? No. Win healthy? No. Well, you can win. What do you say? Define win. Competing for a championship. No, you're not competing for a You can compete for a playoff spot. This team, as currently built, cannot win a championship. No. Isn't that blatantly obvious? 
it's obvious right now because we've been so injured. And, and, and Is that what you really think it is? Well, no. Because they didn't get off to a blazing no. start. I, I think more than anything, Zeno. The, the call problem, 11 and 7 blazing. The problem for me has been that you've had eight games of the 31 games you've played and you have had double-digit leads in eight of the 31 you've played. You've lost five of those. Defense. Defense. Oh, wait, we don't do that here. That's been, if you're going to ask me, that's been more of the issue. But how does this affect this organization moving forward? And, and it is a big question. And it is, and, and here's the thing. Tony Ressler, um, who is the owner, okay, he's obviously aware and involved in all of these things. I'm not telling you he's pulling the trigger on this. I'm not telling you he's the guy. I'm hoping he's I, I don't listening. Know, who, who else has the ability to make the GM step down other than the owner? Well, if this was, again, as Travis said, prioritizing his family. No, he didn't say that. That's what the statement said. There's a difference. If that is the case, then maybe they didn't see eye to eye. Maybe there is a chance that, you know what, we have a different philosophy of how this thing may go. Here's what I'm getting to. Is our owner meddling or is he potentially listening to the basketball people in the building? And to me, that is a bigger issue if you're telling me a guy who pretty much has said, listen, I'm going to listen to the people he said it on this show numerous times. I'm going to listen to the people that I trust and I know that know basketball. I don't think Tony Ressler is at home playing fantasy basketball. No. Okay? Hold on a second. But the, okay. Um, the people that he, he trusts and know basketball don't necessarily reside within the building. They don't? Why are you going outside of your building to talk about your team with other people? Um, here's the thing. When you're at that level, you, you don't talk with people who work for you about those sort of things. When you're making a change of this nature, um, you talk to people outside the organization. What, how, what did you do? How did you handle this? You talk to peers. You don't talk to subordinates. If he's listening to the basketball people, what is the reason to not listen to Travis Schlink? Wait a minute. Who's got the better pedigree as far as building a championship here? Tony Ressler or Travis Schlink? Travis Schlink. Okay. That's my point. Yeah, so. You, you, that's the person you should be, or at least you should confide in. No, because you just moved him out of the spot where you would confide in him. When you start going outside of the building to people who haven't won chips, well, then that just he, becomes fodder. Maybe he did talk to people who have already won championships. So let me ask you then. This is what I'm getting to. How much is the owner involved in this? He's, he's an owner. He's involved in everything. You think so? Anytime you've got a billion dollars, you're involved in everything. You know how you don't make a billion dollars? Do what I do, not get involved in everything. <laughs> like th That's why I don't have a billion dollars. If I was involved in everything, I'd have a billion dollars, well, but I'm not. Well, you, you, that's not Maybe that's a little true. bit of, you know, it might be a little bit yeah, of a stretch, but was, you get the point. Like, people who make a billion dollars in business, they make a billion dollars because they're really good at business and they get involved in everything. They don't skip over any detail. They go through everything with a fine-tooth comb. They don't make mistakes. All right, let me let me just lay this out for you. It's Dukes and Bell at Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. We're talking about uh, Travis Link stepping down. Uh, again, Landry Fields has been our acting GM. He now takes over the day-to-day operations. And, and how this organization, you know, decides to change, whether it be slowly but surely or maybe even immediately. Sometimes these things, we overthink them. Sometimes, Zeno, you make things out to be more than what they are. Me? You. I'm just reading what what the signs are telling me. I'm doing simple math. And and here's what I'm talking about. If you have a guy in Travis Link who says, you know what, maybe, you know what, we just need need some some new eyes on this. Maybe people in the organization said we need some new eyes on this. And, And how do we develop what we have? You don't blow this up. 
it's silly because I'm going to tell you guys, if you blow it up, we're waiting another seven to, take, to eight years to, to get good again. Okay. If you're telling me that's what you're going to do, if you're going to give me a star for a star, if you're telling me I get, I don't know, Devin Booker for Trey, then let's have a conversation. But I'm here to tell you guys, we're not getting Giannis. We're not getting Luka. We're not getting Devin Booker. Shea Gilgis Alexander. If they're willing. Now, that's, again, a conspiracy theory and a pipe dream to well, think about. it makes about. sense, doesn't it? Well, it, it possibly Send could. Send them home. But this is what I'm getting to. You, you're not blowing this up. How do we develop what we have and get better? Hold on a second, Dukes. How long do you have to develop something? This is year three. <laughs> exactly. Oh, okay. They overexceeded oh. expectations two seasons oh. ago. Okay. How much more developing does it need? I mean, you know... This isn't a cooking class where I get lucky and all of a sudden bake a good cake and everything else stinks. There is a you know how you bake a good cake. Good ingredients. Thank you. And that's you know how. what your ingredients are? That's how. Not that good. That's that's exactly. Yeah, that's how you bake a good cake. More on this coming Change up. The Change <laughs> the ingredients. Change the ingredients. All right, coming up, we'll let you hear what Nate had to say too about this generation. I thought it was a fascinating answer. Coming up though, are they that much better than we are? Really? You decide on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. It is Dukes and Bell. Sports Radio 92.9 The Game. Dansby Swanson details his Cubs decision um, in Chicago, talking about... uh, His wife made the call. Every time he walked in, he (laughs) said he would have the Cubs game on. um, and, And he's talking about, like, the sentimental favorite. He's talking about his grandfather, who died just a week ago, and he was talking about his grandfather would have the Cubs game on. Now, again, without the Superstation, without WGN, you got a lot less Cub fans and certainly a lot less Braves fans around the country. But Dansby was talking about he just loved baseball so much. Being um, being a Cub means more to me than people realize. Uh, it's no disrespect to me leaving my hometown, but he talks about him growing up and how the Cubs seemingly were always on. And I, I mm-hmm. can relate to that. I mean, again – I think we have Braves fans in Kansas, you know, and Oklahoma that were watching TBS and watching the Braves all those years, and they didn't have a team, and they started supporting the Braves and started following the Braves. Braves country is real, but Dansby was talking about this today. He signs a seven-year, $177 million contract with the Cubs. It's the second richest deal in franchise history. Um, so, again, congratulations to him. But let's- how, how many Braves fans are hoping this works out like Jason Hayward did for them? <laughs> Yeah. You well, guys they, are mean. They're having, to, they're having to pay Jason. Still. They're still having to pay Jason. Let's talk about what's going on with the Mets because this Carlos Correa flip, this switch, he was supposed to be a Giants, guys, and this is a little bit concerning because reports are that the Giants medical staff saw something that concerned them, which then said, hey, they were ready to not do this deal, and then Correa and his agent basically said, uh, Scott Boris, okay, cool, we're going somewhere else. They go to the Mets. 12 years, it's still a lot of money. Don't get me wrong. But what does this mean for the Mets, and are they that much better than we are? Uh, well, uh, listen, this is why Scott Boris is the best agent in the game because I guarantee you as soon as he got wind of the physicals being an issue, you know what he did? Picked up the phone immediately, immediately, and went, okay, I got you, man. Don't worry about it. You let this deal fall through. You let this deal fall through, I'll take care of the rest. And that's exactly what he did. So it's 12 years, $350 million. Mm-hmm. Where are they better than us? Okay. Where are they better than us? Here we go, us? Dukes. Ready? Where they, yes. Here's what we're going to do. All right. We are going to go 
player by player, position by position around the field. Okay? And I want you to tell me when I name the Mets player and then the Braves player, would you take the Mets player, the Braves player, or you think it's a wash? Okay. All right. Here we go. Let's let's keep this easy here. And we'll Braves. St- <laughs> oh, you haven't started yet. Okay. Yep, sorry. Started sorry. Yet. Sorry. Uh, let's start in the infield. Start at first base. All right. Pete Alonso or Matt Olson? Ooh. Olson had a really good season. Yeah, Pete Alonso had a better one. He had 34 home runs. Drove Pete, in 100. Pete Alonso is in the MVP conversation every year. You're right. All right, fine. Mets. Pete Alonso better. Second base. We are going to go Jeff McNeil and Ozzie Albies. Now, let's assume Ozzie's 100% healthy. I'm going to go Ozzie. McNeil, uh, McNeil almost won the batting title. Now, okay. Ozzie, Ozzie's faster. He'll steal more bases. He but, is. He is and will. That's true. I mean, you, you can call that a wash if you want. I, I, I will, I, I'm, I'm going to lean Ozzie, but just because of the purposes of this drill, wash. Okay. Shortstop. Francisco Lindor. Stop. I tell you what. Look. Stop. L- let's say Dansby comes back. Lindor <laughs> or Dansby? Mets. Mets. Lind- Lindor's better. He is. Okay. Now, here we go. Third base. Well, the Braves got Austin Riley. That's pretty good. What do you mean pretty good? That's Braves. Pretty, pretty, oh, no, 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 no. Braves. Carlos Correa is playing third base for the Mets. I'm sorry? Carlos Correa is now playing third base for the Mets. <sighs> Mets. Yeah. Okay. So we got a wash. Wait a minute. We got, Riley, we got a wash in three Mets. was a monster last year. He was. 38 MVP home conversation. Runs. He was. Come on. 878 OPS? Come on. Who's playing third base for them? Carlos Correa. Mets. Okay. Three Mets and a wash. Let's go to the outfield. We'll start in right field. Okay. Ronald Acuna for the Braves. Starling Marte for the Mets. Acuna for life. Okay. Now, I, I agree. I will caveat it with this. Acuna for life pre Knee injury, because the guy we've seen since we've been back has struggled. He's I, coming, Zeno. He'll be fine. I hope so. I hope so. I'm just saying, if I got the Acuna I got last year versus Starling Marte, you have to assume that Acuna will return to form. Yes, we are. We can go Acuna. I'm going Acuna. I, I Acuna agree. for life. Center field. Michael Harris. It's not even close. And Brandon Nimmo. This is not even close. This is not even – this is no debate. Michael Money Harris, Braves. Yeah, I would agree. I would agree. I, I, listen, I, we haven't – I don't think we scratched the surface. And by the way, yet. Nimmo pops off too much for me. True. And, oh, by the way, can I just add one more thing? It's time to get Ronald Acuna out of the leadoff spot and put Harris there. It's time. Well, we finally it's have time. another guy to yeah. do that. Okay, but it, it's just time. Move Acuna to second. We, we, I have no issues with that. It's, it, it's time. Acuna doesn't need to bat leadoff anymore, period. And if he's going to return to form, you know what? Put him in a place where he can put guys in. Okay. At the top. Well, drive, of the drive some runs. Drive some, drive some runs in. in. Yeah. Okay. Absolutely. I have no problem. All right. So uh, so far we have two washes and one Braves. Everybody else is Mets. Right. Yes. Okay. Left field. Uh, the Mets have Mark Kana, and the Braves have Dua Lipa. <laughs> du- Dua Lipa. Okay. Wait. That's not true. I'm levitating. Yeah. No. It's not Diplo either. Oh, Diplo. Yes. They just signed him. That, that's not going to be. Lupo? Diplo? Who is it? That's not going to be. That's not. Oh, gonna you be mean Marcelo Zuna? Oh, wait. Eddie Rosario. Oh, Rosario. Okay. I'll still take Kana. <laughs> you wouldn't? Giving, you're not giving the edge to the Braves right there? Well, but why would I? Listen. Rosario that couldn't mess see right for right six months. He had a high surgery. Give the guy a break. No. I, 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 this is a, a results-based business. 
This is a results-based decision. This guy's out there. He can't see anything. Then what, you know, what are you playing for if you can't see? He came back and he was he was halfway decent. Let's get Rosario for a full season with with twenty twenty vision. Let's uh, see what he does. I mean, how many how many home runs is Rosario going to hit? How many runs is he going to drive in? Uh, he should drive in. And here's he, on he, average because he missed a lot of time this year. Eddie Rosario's good for seventy five runs driven in. Okay, seventy seventy five runs at least. At least I, I thought that would be the high side. It, well, I'm, again, I, I'm going on. He he only drove in twenty four, but the guy couldn't see for half the year. Hold on a second. Let's right, just let's just go over this. Um, the year before, yeah. It's a shortened season, too, because he got traded. Yeah. Yeah. Hold on. I want to double-check the whole entire season last year. Just and give he was the really edge good to the Braves. The Just give the edge to the Braves. Yeah, I, I really can't because the Braves in, in left field are a mess right now. Mm. Like Somebody's going to yell at me and say, put Vaughn Grissom there because that's what we do. We just put the guys anywhere. Doesn't matter. Just play him. Everything's going to be fine. <laughs> I mean, he was great for the Mets. Didn't ladder half 22. Batted 271. You know. Go ahead. Connor batted 266. Here's the thing. Here's the thing about Connor. Okay, and this is what what is what is interesting um, overall because Connor bat got to plate last year over 460 times. You know how many times he struck out? How many? 90. Ooh. The Mets don't strike out. That's a mean lineup. Ooh. And the Braves strike out a lot. Okay, so you are selling me on that this is left field is Mets. I, I would lean Mets. I don't think it's a large. It's not a lock. It's not a large not one a lock. either way, but I would lean on the Mets. All right, and by the way, if you're just joining us, uh, Zeno, who's in for Mike today, basically we've been arguing about the Mets spending all this money. Their payroll is upwards of $380 million, $85 million. Their luxury tax payments are going to be about $115 million. They spent more money in baseball than anybody now with this signing of Carlos Correa. And he said to me, let's just look at the lineup. They're better in so many places than we are, and that's why we're going over this. One more real quick. Um, At catcher, uh, Omar Navarez or Thomas Nito for the Mets versus Sean Murphy, Travis Thorneau. Probably probably Braves. I would, yeah. I'd go Braves. Well, with the Murphy trade now, Mm -hmm. I think Braves. I I think you're Braves. Real quickly, DH, some combination of Ozuna, Rosario, some platoon situation for for the Mets. It's Vogelbach and Eduardo Escobar. They win. Yeah. They win. Okay, so the bottom line here is that there's like only one or two positions where the Braves have a clear advantage over the Mets right now. On paper. And, oh, by the way, we didn't even get to the starting staff yet. On paper. We didn't get to the bullpen yet. We didn't even do that. We just did the lineup. Well, if you're going to – I don't think there's debate that they're one and two is better than our one and two right now. Nobody's better than Spencer Strider. Remember that. Well, I know you're my guy. I know you're a big Strider guy. That's my guy. So you're going to take Strider over Verlander? Yes, right now, yes. All right. Coming up, guys, (laughs) we got plenty more to discuss. Falcon Report is on the way. When we come back, the latest on the recruiting battles that are going on. It's signing day. We will talk to Connor Riley from Dog Nation next. On the sidelines with the dogs. The Dog Report is brought to you by Engineered Solutions of Georgia, a proud partner of the Georgia Bulldogs. All right, let's talk about signing day and find out where the dogs are. Connor Riley joins us from Dog Nation. We pushed him back a little bit because he normally joins us at four. We wanted to give him a little bit more time, as uh, I know you needed today, man, with all that's going on. Connor, where are we at right now? Tell us about what you know about this dog class so far. Yeah, number two overall signing class, I believe, of the 26 guys committed they have right now, 23 of their letters or intent are in, and they are officially signed. We should hear at least Damon Wilson's officially submitted later today. 
still unsure about uh, Raymond Cotterell, or Cottrell, excuse me, wide receiver out of Florida. Jamal Merriweather is expected to sign in February. A uh, little bit of news here in the last 15 minutes. Arik Gilbert has entered the transfer portal. Oh. He has not been with the team for some time. He did not travel to the Mississippi State or Kentucky games. and was not with the team against Georgia Tech and against uh, LSU in the SEC championship game there. So, busy bit of news here today. We have one player exiting the program, at least in official capacity. And now we have 23 new players, at least, coming in, probably going to be 26, and maybe even another one tomorrow as a four-star defensive lineman that is down to Georgia and Florida is set to announce. So number two ranked class in the country right now, Kirby Smart does it again, lands what is probably, in my opinion, maybe the best defensive class in the country in terms of what they have stacked from front to back in terms of defensive linemen, linebackers, and secondary. Pretty impressive to see that Georgia got so many commits done already wrapped up early. Uh, You know, I mean, does it say anything to you that they're able to have this thing, you know, by noon, uh, all locked in stock with a bow on it as opposed to other schools who are still waiting towards the end of the day? I mean, what does that say to you? Yeah, I I think it speaks to what Georgia wants from its recruits. You know, Kirby Smart spoke today about how he believes it's the highest, like, average incoming GPA. They have, I think, 15, 16 early enrollees a year after they had 18, 19 early enrollees. They have guys that, you know, Georgia's about winning championships right now. And I do think that their recruiting philosophy in terms of the guys they target is stark to some of the other programs out there, Miami, you know, Florida, schools that you hear so much talking about, NIL, name, image, and likeness, and sort of the money and attractions that come with that. You know, Georgia, yes, they're competitive when it comes to those markets, but you know when you're coming here, first and foremost, you're going to hit, you're going to be physical, you're going to be mentally tough, and you have to do all that. And if you do do that, you're a player like Brock Bowers who came in and did that day one and became the best tight end in America really quickly. The NIL money is going to flow like a water hose. And so I think it speaks to, as you point out there, this is just what Georgia's class is in, in terms of the character and makeup behind it and what they want going forward out of these guys. Connor, no quarterback sign for 2023. What's the deal there? It's not surprising. They put all their eggs in the Arch Manning basket. They feel really comfortable about what they have on this roster currently. I think Carson Beck is probably going to be your starting quarterback next year. But Gunnar Stockton and Brock Vandegrift are both really talented options. They already have a 2024 quarterback committed in Ryan Puglisi, the number one overall player in the country for the 2024 cycle. Dylan Rayola just reopened his commitment. I would expect Georgia to be very aggressive in pursuing him there. And look, the reality is, you know, if unless you truly believe a guy is your future of the position, and I don't think Georgia believed in that anyone other than Arch Manning in this cycle, you can go find quality players in the transfer portal. Uh, Devin Leary is going to be the starter at Kentucky next year. It sounds like Grand Mertz former Wisconsin is going to be Florida's starting quarterback. Uh, Hendon Hooker had a sensational season after transferring in for Virginia Tech. There are so many quarterbacks in the transfer portal, on, and that's going to be a year-in, year-out thing now going forward, that if you really need to find a quarterback and you really don't think that what you have in your roster is good enough at that position, odds are you're going to be able to find a talented enough player there. But I think it speaks to the fact that, yeah, Georgia made a big swing in Arch Manning. They didn't end up getting him. He goes to Texas. And instead, you have a guy in Carson Beck, Gunnar Stockton, Brock Vandergriff, who they feel really comfortable in all three of those guys for next year, along with what they have the, down the pipeline in that 2024 recruiting class. For the record, I just say, yeah, Graham Mertz is terrible. I got, what is Billy Napier thinking? <laughs> like, he's going to go from Anthony Richardson to a guy who can't play a seven-yard out route. Like, I, I, anyway, good luck, Billy. Uh, have fun. That said, you know, you talk about the NIL stuff. How much have you seen or at least heard of, not necessarily here at Georgia, but you know, just around from these high school kids who are moving forward, that NIL is playing a, a bigger decision in each one of their decisions to go somewhere. 
I don't know if it's necessarily a bigger decision. It just happens to be maybe more public and more, you know, okay to talk about it out in the open. Uh, you know, schools have been doing this for years, paying players in the days of National Signing Day, making last-minute offers to come get guys. I think it's just now maybe people are a little bit more cavalier and open about what guys are getting and, and what you're hearing and what certain schools are doing in terms of making that attractive. Miami right now is not a very attractive school based on what you've seen on the football field. And yet they have, I believe, the number three overall recruiting mm. class in the country. Why is that? Well, Mario Cristobal is a very good recruiter, and they have a lot of money to spend with NIL thanks to some money made by a mega booster there, John Ruiz. And they're not the only school in the country doing this. They're maybe one of the few schools doing it well. I think, you know, Texas A&M last year, their signing classes is an example of it. And while some people, uh, they get all worried and nervous about, oh, you know, they're buying these classes. If you've got the money to do it and you're finding players that you think can help your program and are going to want to come there for a price, by all means, go for it. But just look at what happened with Texas A&M on the field this year. There were a lot of problems with that team, and they end up going five and seven, and there are a lot of miserable people. You can buy a class every once in a while, maybe buy select players. But on the whole, if you're not finding guys that fit your culture and your system as a, as a coach, it's going to run and create a lot of problems. And the money can only take you so far there. So I don't know how different it is in terms of what the money is being thrown around. I do know that just, people are more cavalier and upfront about it. You know, Miami has been dinged for recruiting violations forever. But now that it's legal, it's no longer such a big deal that we used to always see it as. Yeah. Connor, um, as we talk about Georgia in this upcoming class, by the way, if you're just tuning in, Georgia number two, Alabama one. You guys, if you're top five, you're great. And Georgia's been top three. You're going back, what, the last five or six years, and a couple of those years they were number one. I think it's more about what you do when the players get there. Who in your mind right now is the most impactful recruit that the dogs have coming in? Who was the guy that they absolutely wanted and got? Year one, it's Damon Wilson, the guy, ironically, they just committed, picked up less than an hour ago. Uh, Five-star pass rusher out of Venice, Florida, played at the highest level of classification down there in Florida and put up monster numbers in his junior and senior season. With a Georgia-Ohio State-Alabama battle, Georgia wins that battle. Outside linebacker was Georgia's biggest need, in my opinion, in this cycle, and they go out and they get three top 100 players at that position. If I could take a more long-term approach, a guy I really like is Raylan Wilson, a linebacker out of Tallahassee, Florida, top 50 overall player. I think this guy's going to be a stud. And you look at the way Jordan has developed linebackers in recent years, Nicobe Dean, Quay Walker, Roquan Smith. I think this guy absolutely fits that same mold in terms of the both athletic ability to play the position and the mentality needed to be a leader there. He may not come in and play right away because Jamon Dumas-Johnson and Smile Munden are really, really talented players. They're going to be back next year. But in terms of long-term view, I think Raylan Wilson is an absolute stud for this program. Mm. Um, they gave Arik Gilbert, if you're tuning in again, he is transferring guys in the transfer portal. They gave Arik Gilbert every opportunity. At least I felt that they did. I still, you know, we talked about it because it's a sensitive situation, Connor, where we don't necessarily know all the facts and we don't want to, you know, rush to judgment when it comes to um, whether it was, you know, things off the field, the, the, the mental capacity, all that stuff that we kind of threw out there and talked about over the last couple of years. But the expectations for Reed Gilbert, we really got nothing out of him. Yeah, and I, I want to stress here, you know, going forward, I think everyone in the Georgia program wants to see the best possible version of Arik, both as a person and as a player. And things just didn't work out at Georgia for him. And I would agree with you, Carl. I, I do think Georgia gave Arik every possibility to, to make something of himself here as a football player at Georgia. They did a lot for him, gave him a lot of leeway. He steps away for the entire 2021 season. 
you know, in and out of the team rotation this year. But, you know, following this team, he was not around for essentially the last month of games. I think that should have told you his standing with this team going forward. And look, the position he played, Jordan's really, really set at tight end. Uh, You know, Brock Bowers is the best in the country. Donald Washington was second team all SEC at tight end this season. Oscar Delp is a really talented player with a lot of SEC schools would love to have on their team, and he can't even necessarily get on the field this year. So with, for a week, for it to work for him at Georgia, he was going to have to work and put in the work to be a great player and also do the things off the field as well. And he was just not up to doing that. And I, I just want to say, you know, this is a guy who one of the great, great players in Georgia high school football in recent years, you know, highest-ranked tight end to ever come out of the high school ranks. And I think that pressure always followed him. It was just a lot for him to live up to and a lot for him to deal with. And I do hope whatever the next step is for Reed Gilbert, that he's just in a place where he's able to be mentally healthy and mentally get the best out of him, wherever that might be, because it didn't work out for him at LSU. And now that it has not worked out at a place at Georgia, where I do believe they gave him a lot of opportunities to try and craft himself into a successful player in person. I would love to see what he does next and how he goes about making himself that. Sometimes one recruiting class can really change the trajectory of a team. I mean, particularly in the SEC where there's just so much talent going around. Is there another school, whether it's in the SEC or somewhere else, that you saw that you think had a really good class that can make an impact from last year to this year? In the SEC, it's hard to say. I I will note, uh, Florida, man, you know, they were really selling Billy Napier on being a dynamic recruiter. And then for his year one class to come in lower ranked than Dan Mullen's first class, a notorious non-recruiter, uh, that's going to put him in a really tough spot where, look, I get it's year one and these aren't all your players and aren't all the guys you wanted, but you go out and lose 30 to three in a bowl game where you're going to, like not everyone on the Florida team is leaving. You're going to have a chance to go out there and get better. So you put that out along with what has been a really tough recruiting trail season for them. You really wonder about the future of the direction of that program there. I think what Dan Lanning has done at Oregon today has been really impressive flip the five-star safety from Notre Dame, land a five-star pass rusher out of uh, California there. He's putting together a really strong class. I, I think within the SEC, it's still, you know, LSU has put together a really nice class with what they've done with Brian Kelly this year, and they've done a good job mixing in the transfer portal there as well. But I think as you touch on, it's still Georgia 1, Alabama 2, or Alabama 1, Georgia 2, depending on how you view actual rankings and recruiting rankings. But those are two, I, I still think, the far and away best teams in terms of, going out, finding talent, and getting those guys to buy another system and translating that into wins. I don't know if you have this in front of you because I know it's been a crazy day for you. SEC rankings, Alabama, Georgia, who else is in that top five as far as just the SEC top five? Do you know? Well, it depends when we want to start counting them as SEC programs because Texas signed a really strong class this year, led obviously by Arch Manning, but they have four other top, uh, top 50 recruits. LSU comes in at number six, Oklahoma number nine, Florida number 10, Tennessee number 12 overall here. So okay. there's some gaps being formed, but it's still, it's, in my, it's still Georgia and Alabama, I think, far outpacing really the rest of college football at this point. When you look at a team like Texas, you look at a team like LSU, I really like what LSU continues to do under Brian Kelly and continues to add talent there. And as he spends more time at that program, I do think that they're in the, in the possible position to go and catch Alabama with what they're doing in a way similar to what Georgia has done in recent years where, yeah, Alabama's amassing more quote-unquote recruiting talent and guys that are playing out there on the field. But I think Brian Kelly is, and Kirby Smart are perhaps right now doing a better job of getting the most out of that talent than I think Alabama is with Nick Saban. Great stuff. Connor, tell the people where they can follow you. Today is always an exciting day, guys, and we got special programming coming up at 6 tonight. 
with our guy Sam Crenshaw, Coach Parker. They hosted the scoreboard show throughout the, the course of the high school football season. Chris Goforth is going to join them. They're going to recap a lot of this stuff from 6 to 7. But tell the people where they can find your stuff. Yep, yeah, you guys can follow me on Twitter, at KConOrile, along with Dog Nation, even though Kirby is done speaking for today and the Christmas holidays are coming up. We've got a ton of stuff coming up and around, both recruiting and team news as well, because this time next week we'll be getting ready for a college football playoff game between Georgia and Ohio State. Cannot wait. Next week can't get here fast enough. Connor, thanks again, man. Great work. Go to Dog Nation. Check out his stuff. Hey, man, have a great day. Thank you. Merry Christmas, Carl. All right, you too. Connor Riley joins us on a weekly visit. Merry Christmas, Carl. Uh, I guess I'll just I'll have a crappy one. Well, he knows. He understands what's going on here. Don't you? Yeah, I'm, I'm obviously. What's that? Connor doesn't like me. <laughs> Coming up. Zeno's just earning his stripes around here. Oh, he knows a is? thing or two about that. Come on. <laughs> you got to earn it. We're gonna Tell him, Curdle. We're going to hear from Arthur Smith. Were you guys worried about Tyler Algier's size when we drafted him? Wait till you hear what Arthur Smith had to say about that and the progression of this young core group the Falcons have. It's coming up as part of our Falcon Report on Sports Radio 92.9 The Game.